15, and tonight we're going to be in verses 5 through 13. Romans 15, 5 through 13, we are rapidly, uh, we have gone through the entire book of Romans, uh, which is 16 chapters, so we've got about six weeks left, and then we will uh, move on to, uh, to something else. Am I hearing music? Is that in here? Oh, there it goes. Okay. All right. The title of tonight is To the Glory of God. Now, tonight in chapter 15, we are going to finish up a, a thought or a subject that Paul started back in chapter 14. Okay? So he started it at the very beginning of chapter 14, and it's carried all the way now in through chapter 15, which, by the way, reminds me once again to remind you once again, that the verses and the chapters in the Bible were not in the original manuscripts, okay? I want you to remember that. See, we, for our whole life, we've picked up a Bible, and we can quote Romans 10, 9, John 14, 6, John 3, 16, Romans 6, 3, Romans, we go on and on and on, right? But the chapters and the verses weren't in the original Bible, much less in Paul's original letters. He didn't write chapters in there. His was just one contiguous uh, letter. In fact, the chapter and verse divisions were added much, much later. Uh, the chapters were added by a guy by the name of Stephen Langton. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, he added the chapters in the year uh, 1205. So we've had the chapters in the Bible for just over uh, 800 Years The verses didn't come until much later. They were added by a guy by the name of Robert Stephanus. This was after the invention of the printing press, and he was a printer. He wasn't a priest. Uh, he wasn't a bishop. He wasn't an archbishop. He wasn't uh, uh, some type of theological scholar. He was just a printer. And he thought, man, it would be a lot easier <laughs> if we had verses. And so he was going to be printing uh, the Bible, and he decided to add the verses. He did that in 1551, so we've not re we even had the verses in the Bible uh, for not quite uh, 500 uh, years. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes those two guys did a good job where they put the chapters and where they put the verses, and sometimes they did not do a very good job at all. Now, here's the question. Why does it matter, and why am I bringing it up? Well, <clears throat> we've all been reading books for a long time. Most everybody here reads books or has read books. And from children's books to teenagers' books to adult books, we're very used to having chapters in a book, right? And we're also used, if you go to the table of contents, it says chapter 1 is about this and chapter 2 is about this. We intuitively believe that when somebody starts a new chapter, they're, they're turning the page, if you will, to a new subject um, or a new, a new thought, if you will. In fact, I, I can prove this to you. If you ever, how many of you have ever been reading at night and you get really sleepy and you think, what? I just want to make it to the end of the, what, <laughs> chapter? Why? Because you want to finish it out. You, you know the next chapter is something new. So intuitively, we think that way, that when we turn a new chapter... It's, they, the, the author must be a talking about something new. But in many cases in the Bible, if you think that, you would be wrong. And the reason you're wrong is because Stephen Langton put the chapter in the wrong place. Chapter 15 is an excellent example of that. Paul started in chapter 14 talking about a subject. 
and he's still talking about the exact same thing in chapter 15. He hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed subjects or changed thought patterns or anything like that. So where chapter 15 is is not in the best place. In fact, you'll see at the end tonight that it would have been a much better place at the end of verse 13. But I just wanted to point that out because sometimes intuitively we think a new chapter means a new subject, and that's just not the case. Remember, Paul didn't put the chapters in there. Somebody else did. So Paul is not starting a new subject. He's still on the exact same thing that he was talking about in chapter 14. Now, you can see this in verses 1 through 2. And we covered this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But look at verses 1 and 2. He says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So this is the same thing. If you go back to 14, this is what Paul's talking about. How can we get along with one another? Even though we have differences of opinions, even though we have some strong Christians and some weak Christians and we're disagreeing about certain things, Paul says how do, his, his whole thing has been welcome one another, accept one another. Uh, and here he says, let the strong give up their freedoms, give up their advantages, not to please themselves, but to build up their neighbor. Now, we covered this last week, and I want to make a clarification tonight. This is something I didn't cover last week. I probably should have. And so I want to clarify something. There are times in the Bible where we are told to try and please others, right? We just saw it in verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. There's others in the Bible. For example, 1 Corinthians 10.33, Paul says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So there are times in the Bible we are told, be a people pleaser, please people, right? But then there are other times when we are told, don't do that. For example, Galatians 1.10, Paul says, Am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So sometimes we're told to please others, sometimes we're told not to. Now here's my question, how do I know? How do I know in any certain situation whether I should please that person or not please that person? Well, I want to clarify this because Paul gives us an excellent, excellent rule of thumb. Let's go back to verse 2. Notice in this verse what the context is. Paul says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. If you go back and read verse, uh, chapter 14... The issues here are what Paul calls differences of opinion. Some people are eating meat. Some people won't eat meat. Some people are observing certain holidays. Other people don't observe certain holidays. Paul says some people are strong, some people are weak. But these are just differences of, of opinion. Okay. Now, in Galatians, and the one I read from Galatians, it was a completely different story. There, it wasn't these, these minor issues. What was at stake was the actual gospel. You see, these Jews from Jerusalem had come down to Galatia, and they started teaching people, if you really want to be saved, you have to be circumcised. You have to perform this work in order to experience salvation. And Paul said, no way. No way. I'm not going to please you. So here, he would not please people. So why? Because what was at stake wasn't a minor issue. It wasn't a difference of opinion. It was the very content of the gospel. Okay? So here's the rule of thumb that you can live by. 
If we can please people and it builds them up and it's for their advantage, then we should do it. But if pleasing people means in the end they'll be destroyed, then you don't do it. Everybody see that? If you can please them to, to make them stronger, to make them more mature, to, to edify them, build them up, it's to their advantage, then by all means we should please people. But if it's a situation whereby pleasing people we might tickle their ears, but we're actually leading to a situation that is their disadvantage and could actually lead to their destruction, then by all means you never do that. So that is a really good rule of thumb as to when we should or should not please people. So here we are, we've come into chapter 15, and now all throughout 14, all throughout 15, Paul's like, get along with one another. You guys got to get along with one another. Yes, you're going to disagree. You come from all kind of different backgrounds, uh, but welcome one another. And he's given us all these different reasons to do that. Now, I've got to ask the question, why is it such a big deal that we get along? Because you do understand that God could save us whether we get along or not, right? God's able to save me. God's able to make sure that I endure to the end. God's able to do all kind of things whether I get along with you or not. What's the big deal? Why is it so important that, that Paul spends so much time that you and I get along with one another? Well, Paul answers that question in verses 5 through 7. He says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see, what you and I need to understand is Paul has spent, and it really an inordinate amount of time, a chapter and a half, imploring us and exhorting us to get along. But his goal has never just been good human relations. Do you remember a while back when I forget what chapter it was and we talked about Paul compared the, us to a body? you remember that? And we said that Paul didn't compare us to a team, like a football team. He didn't compare us to a company. He didn't compare us to an organization like the Lions Club. Because in the natural, the best we can ever do in this building is be like a team or a company or an organization supernaturally we function like a body. The world, the best we can do is an organization that we call a church. Paul says, no, you're more than that. You're a body where one member hurts when the other member hurts and one member rejoices when the other. He's doing the same thing here. The goal, see, the world's, the best the world can ever do is good human relations. We can just all get along. Doesn't matter if you, you know, you may, you may have different opinions. Just get along and maybe we're happier. Maybe there's... We got a better economy, baby. Maybe there's, but that's the best the world can ever do. But Paul has got a truth here that's far beyond anything the world can understand, and that is this: all human relations are meant to glorify God, not just to get along, but to bring glory to God. Now, I'm going to delve into this subject just for a minute here and talk a little bit about the glory of God. We're not going to go very deep because our very last lesson in Romans is going to be about this subject, the glory of God. That's how we'll finish up this great book of the Bible. But I want to just wade into it a little a bit because you hear often in Scripture over and over, to the glory of God, for the glory of God, and all of these types of things. What does that mean? 
What is the glory of God? Several weeks ago, we were talking about this subject, and I mentioned to you that the Hebrew word in the Old Testament actually meant heaviness or weight. And it was used in Jewish everyday speech to describe the worth of a person, their glory, their, their, how important they were, how great they were, how honorable or, or beautiful or powerful they were. That was, that was the word. It, it's, a, it's a heavy, we talk about, we say somebody's a lightweight, right? We, we look at a subject and say they're a lightweight. This is the opposite of that. This is, this is heaviness. This is worthiness. This is weightiness. And that's the word that's given to God. I mean, it's, it's, it's the weight or the importance of his entire character, okay? Now, by the way, this bringing glory to God or showing God's glory is something that the universe or the creation does every day. Psalms 19.1 says this, the, he- the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What does that mean? That means when you walk outside at night and you look up and you see the Milky Way and you see the stars and you see the moon, what it's saying is, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this person that spoke that into being? It's the, it's the heaviness of God. It's the weight of God, the worthiness of God. And the heavens are screaming it out. That's their, that's their purpose. You know, a tree might exist, right? And a tree, you may say, well, the purpose of the tree is, is to do photosynthesis and create oxygen. Yeah, that's one of its purposes, but its highest purpose is to bring glory to God. The moon may control the tides. It may give light at night. That's all part of its purpose, but its highest purpose is that it is to bring glory to God. It's to reflect its creator, the worthiness and the weight of the one who created it. Now, I've got a question. What is your purpose? What's your purpose? Why are you here? What's, what's the point of all this? By the way, it's not a mystery. The Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, speaks very clearly. Isaiah 43, 7, this is the word of the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He said this, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed in the womb. You are formed in the womb. Your highest purpose that you will ever achieve in this life is to bring glory to God. That's what you're here for. That, that's, that's what you're here for. That's your purpose. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 in the New Testament, he says, In Him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity to, with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. He says this, We were chosen in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. I was created in my mother's womb for his glory. I was chosen and made a Christian, a believer, for his glory. That's our purpose. Our purpose on this earth is not to, to, to live for our own happiness or our own honor or our own gain. Our purpose is not... To, uh, to have children and grandchildren. That's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing, but that's not my purpose. My purpose, my highest purpose, is to bring glory to God. Everything that falls... I mean, think about that. My marriage is to bring glory to God. As a father, I'm to bring glory to God. As a grandfather, I'm to bring glory to God. As a worker, I'm to bring glory to God. See, God created you and saved you in order, and we're going to come back to this in a moment, 
in order that you can display his glory in a way that creation never could. I'm going to say that again, and we're going to circle back. God created you and saved you in order to display his glory in a way that mountains and galaxies and rivers and lakes never could. And we'll come back to that in a moment. So what we need to understand is that all of creation, all of redemption, all of society, all of culture is made for the glory of God. That's what it exists for. Music, music exists for the glory of God. That's what it's there for. That is its highest purpose. Can it soothe a baby? Sure. Can it, can it calm a, a, a fearful king? Sure. It can do a lot of other things, but its highest purpose, its highest purpose is to bring glory to God. By the way, you, you, don't, you might say to me, well, you don't mean everything brings glory to God. No, I mean absolutely everything. Romans eleven thirty six, from him, through him, and to him are, say it with me, all things. Everything is from him. Everything is through him. Everything is for him. And Paul says, to God be the glory. There is nothing that exists in this world in, that is an end of itself or of themselves. We exist for the glory of, of God. Yet the fact is, you know, I, I, I'm, I get up in the morning and I, I'll go and I'll read the news. And I, every day I read it, I'm like, Man, this is the most depressing is so depressing because there's nothing in there that's glorifying God. Nothing. I, I was I, I, ever so often I ran across one yesterday. There was a guy, and some of y'all may have seen this video. He was at the Supreme Court, and all these people were out there just just going off. And uh, one of the uh, ladies, I forget who it was, she's up there just going off about this and abortion. And he said, "You need to repent." <laughs> he said, "That's despicable." How, you know, I mean, just, and of course, they're cussing him and spitting on him, and it's very seldom you see just somebody stand up in that kind of crowd. The rest of it is just, it, everything in our culture is trying to drag us down. Everything in our culture is trying to drag us down. Every, even if it doesn't take you into the pit of hell, it's trying to make your life shallow. It's trying to make your life casual instead of you existing for this incredible purpose that you were born for. That's, I mean, let's face it, that's the problem in the world today. People have lost their way. They have lost their way. They have no idea why they're here. They, they have completely abandoned their purpose. And, and because of that, they've lost their entire reason for, for being. What I want to say to you now is that it matters. It matters greatly that you know your purpose. It matters incredibly that you know why you're here. I don't know how much time you've got left. You may have 20 years. You may have 50 years. You may have, I don't know. But it matters how you're going to spend that time. You have to know your purpose. If you don't, your life will be just a shadow, a shadow of what God intended. Several years ago, when I first taught this lesson, we were going through a period of time and we were talking about our river of life and we wanted river of life to be inviting and exciting and life-changing. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I, I want to be inviting. In fact, didn't Paul just say, welcome one another? We, we should be inviting. I want to be exciting. I don't want to be dull. Listen, we should be staggered by the glory of God. 
Coming to church on Sunday should be one of the greatest things we do all week, to meet our brothers and sisters and sing praise to God and hear the word of God preached. There shouldn't be anything in our week that even comes close to that. That should be exciting. And, of course, it should be life-changing. But, folks, it can't stop there. If we're only exciting and if we're only inviting and if we're only uh, life-changing, that doesn't mean we fulfilled our purpose. We only fulfill our purpose when we're a human being that is saturated with the glory of God. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that our young people love the glory of God more than they love music, more than they love sports, more than they love the next fashion, more than they love social media. That we're a church of career people who love the glory of God more than they love money, more than they love financial success. And we're a church of older people who rejoice in the glory of God because it's just over the horizon. I'm going to stop here for just a moment. My, my thoughts have been on this for a couple of weeks. How many of you know older people that have just descended into negativity? They, they sit in front of the TV, they watch Fox News, they watch CNN, and it's all, you talk to them, it's all negative, and it's all falling apart, and it's all this conspiracy theory and that conspiracy theory. Listen, I want to come to church and meet old people, and when I talk to them, they talk about the glory of God. That's what I want. I don't want to be that. I, I hope you don't want to be that kind of person. But let me tell you, young people, and I'll tell you this today, every day you get up and you choose hope or you choose despair. Every day you get up or you, you choose truth or you choose the lie. Every day you're putting a brick on that wall and you're building the type of person you're going to be. Every day. You don't just get old one day and think, man, I'm just going to be the most negative person. No, you've been walking that road for years. So this isn't just about... Now, thank God if, if you're an older person and you're there, you can get changed. But I'm telling you, as a young people, you're already walking down one road or the other. You're already on a path to being an older person that just glorifies God, or you're on a path to being one of those old negative people that nobody wants to be around. Recognize your purpose now. Don't wait. Recognize your, your purpose. Now, over the years, I've, I've done some marriages, and I've counseled young couples. And one of the first questions I ask them, I ask them, I say, close your eyes, and I want you to envision yourself when you're old. What do you see? And almost all of them say, well, we're on the front porch and there's all my grandchildren are just running around my feet. Isn't that what we all want? And I always say to them, that starts today. That starts right now. You don't just stumble into that. You don't just stumble in that. You build that every day out of the choices you make. So become an old person in the river of life who loves the glory of God. You come to me and say, well, listen, did you know this? And I'm like, what do I care? I'm a child of God. I don't care if that happens or that happens. He's going to take care of me. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about how great God is. Let's talk about how controlled he is, right? See, I said it before. You and I should be staggered by the greatness of God. Listen to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1.17. Paul says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul says, I pray God will just, that mirror that you're looking through darkly, that he'll clear it just a little bit so you can see him just a little bit better. And you'll know who he really is. Or 
we can say like Moses did in Exodus 33, 18, God, please show me your glory. Show me how great you are. So here, as we come to this point in in, uh, Romans, Paul is not interested, once again, that we just become an organization of people that get along with one another. That's not his point at all. That's never been his goal. His goal has always been, as he said in verses 5 through 7, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, I'll close with this tonight. How does Paul help us, not in general, you know, sometimes we we teach very general things, but how does he help us at River of Life become those kind of people? Those kind of young people that love the glory of God, the, the middle-aged people that love the glory of God, the old people. That, how, how does he help us get to that point? Well, he does a few things. Number one, and this is my favorite, Paul draws our attention to Christ. In Romans 15, 3, he said this, For Christ, using him as an example, did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Listen, one of my favorite scriptures in the bible is second corinthians three eighteen, and i i'm here to tell you today i don't really understand it i don't really understand it i know what it says that's pretty clear but how it works i don't know but this is how we change look at second corinthians three eighteen. beholding the glory of the lord we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another paul says every day you look to jesus you find some way during that day to see his glory, to see how beautiful he is and how awesome he is and how, uh, how holy he is and how merciful he is and how forgiving he is and how loving he is and how powerful he is. And Paul says when you do that, when you see that, you are in some way being transformed into the same image. That means you are becoming a little more forgiving. You become a little more loving. You become a little more merciful. You become a little more holy. From one degree of glory to the next, a little more every day, every day, every day. And and how do we get there? Just get up every day and look at Jesus. Meditate on him. Think about him. Spend time with him. It's not rocket science. Like I said, I don't understand how it works. I just know that it does. Number two, Paul reminds us how essential the scriptures are. Romans 15, 4. He says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. We said this last week, so I won't beat a dead horse. You need to read your Bible. You need to study your Bible. You need to meditate on your Bible. You need to believe your your Bible. That's what it takes. If if we are going to become the kind of people that glorify God by the way we live our lives, we got to be in the Scripture, okay? Uh, it's just, there's just no way around it. We've got to be people of the Scripture. Number three, Paul reminds us of the importance of hope. Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Hope in what? Hope that no matter what I'm going through in this life, God is working it out for my good. Hope that when I die, there is an eternity with him waiting for me, that I will see him face to face. 
By the way, this is exactly what Jesus did. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. How do we go make it through this life? How do we make it through the hard times for the joy that's set before us? The hope that there's something coming that's going to blow this away. There's something coming that the troubles of this life, they won't even be worth mentioning. They're like garbage, Paul says. But what we're going to exchange it for. By the way, the, the crazy thing about hope is notice that hope, the hope that we have, is our motivation to love. Colossians 1, 4 through 5 said, Paul writes this, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, why did they love everybody? Why are they loving people different from them? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I mean, that's a motivation to, to love one another. Number four, Paul prays, verses five and six. We read it a while ago. Paul starts out by saying, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. See, Paul understands that there is a limit to his ability to persuade. He, he has, he's given us these great truths in chapter 14. Love one another. Welcome one another. Because don't be somebody else's judge. God is their judge. God can make you stand. These great truths. And then he brings out the big guns last week when he says, look at Jesus. Jesus became a servant. If he did it, how much more should we? But he understands that there is a limit to everything he can say, that if it's going to be done, God's got to do it. If it's going to be done in this church, God has to do it. So if I think if Paul was standing here tonight, and he could say anything he wanted to say, he'd say this. He'd say, River of Life, look around you. Welcome one another. When you come into this building and when you go. But don't just welcome one another into your church or into your pew or into your, your, your classes. Welcome one another into your lives. Welcome one another into your spaces. And do it for the glory of God. Don't do it just so we can get along. Do it for the glory of God. Can you imagine you walk, how many of you, and I don't raise your hand, but how many of you walked in here tonight and found somebody to welcome? Don't, again, by the way, did you find somebody to welcome that you didn't already know? Can I encourage you to do that for the glory of God? Can I encourage you to, when you walk in here, to find somebody that you don't know from nobody and walk over? Welcome them, accept them, introduce yourself to them. That's how this thing works. And you don't, don't just do it because I ask you. Don't just do it because that makes you a good member. Don't just do it so somebody can pat you on the back. Do it for his glory. That's what he said. Now, that would have been a good place to stop. But Paul never stops where we think he should stop. I've noticed that about Paul. I thought, man, Paul, that's a great place to stop. Why don't you stop? Paul's got one more thing to say. Look at verses 7 through 9. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, by the way, that he's talking about the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles, that are, those are non-Jews, might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. You know what Paul just did? Paul just moved from these non-essential differences 
and welcome one another to say and welcome one another across racial and ethnic lines. Don't just welcome people that's your race. Don't just welcome people that, that come from the South. Don't just welcome people that like the same things you do. Step across those lines. Step across the people that come from different cultures, different nationalities, different ethnicities, and do it all for the glory of, of God. This is a good place for an advertisement. We're not going to move into this a lot tonight, but in six or seven weeks when we finish this up, uh, Pastor Henry knows this is coming. We're going to stop. And we're going to do about a six-week series on relevant issues of today. Okay? We're going to talk about abortion. We're going to talk about race. We're going to talk about gender and trans, all this stuff that's going on. We're going to cover all of this stuff, and we're going to say, what does the Bible say? Not what do I say. I, who cares what I say? What does the Bible say about those issues? We're going to pick at least a half a dozen of them. And we're going to just come in here and we're going to look at the Bible and look at what the Bible says. And one of the things we'll look at is critical race theory. We'll look at race relations. We'll look at all these different things and we'll say, what does the Bible say about those things? But for now, understand that Paul has called us to another level, right? It's not about, hey, man, if that guy don't want to celebrate Christmas and you do, you got to get along with one another. Or if that guy wants to eat meat and you're a vegetarian, you've got to get along with another. another. That's, that's all true. He's saying you get along, you cross those barriers. You cross all barriers to welcome one another in Christ. Again, I, I need to say this one more time. Why is Paul doing this? Is it just so we can all get along? No. No. Listen, God made us for his glory. And you are only fum fully human when you're living for his glory. I'm telling you guys, life can be absolutely incredible. And for most of us, it's mundane. It is absolutely mundane. Why? Because we're not close to living for the glory of God. There are adventures out there. There are relationships out there that will test you and excite you. And, and most of us just stay in our little circle. And we're comfortable. And we just, we never step out of it. And we never know what God has in, has in store and in plan for us. And Paul is, is, is imploring us to step out of that and cross those lines and do it for the glory of God. Human community, human togetherness, human bonding, human society, all of these relationships that we have, all ordained by God for His glory. Now, I said this earlier. I, I want to circle back to it. I said that you and I were created and saved to bring glory to God in a way that mountains and galaxies and, and lakes and rivers and uh, all these other things could never do. Okay, and so I want to come back to that. Human life and human relationships, like we're talking about, human community, are conceived and created to consciously glorify God. So here's what I mean by that. You and I don't get put into relations in this church so that somebody might just see that we love one another and glorify God, okay? See, that's what, think about mountains and galaxies and trees and animals. They all glorify God, but they have no idea they're doing it, right? Mount Everest sits there in all its glory, and you're looking at it and thinking, man, God is unbelievable, and Mount Everest has no idea what it's doing. 
you, you find these animals and you just think, man, who, the fact that he thought that up, created that out of nothing, that's, that's unbelievable. And that animal glorifies God, but he has no idea that he's doing it. That's not what Paul wants from us. He certainly doesn't mean that. He, he doesn't mean, hey guys, just get along with one and love one another. And maybe, maybe somebody out there in the community will see that and think, wow, that's, that, no, that's not what he means at all. Listen to Romans 15, 6, and this is how I know he doesn't mean this. He says this, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if I came in here tonight and I said, hey, let's all sing some, let's all sing, and I didn't have a certain song. And some people over here are singing one song, and some people over here are singing another song, and what would, what would that be? We'd all be singing, but it would be chaos. In order for us to sing the same song, not only that, to sing the melodies and the harmonies, that takes purpose, that takes direction, that, that, takes, that takes somebody making a plan. This is what Paul is saying, that together, by crossing these barriers, by accepting one another across racial and ethnic lines, by, by, overlooking, by the weak putting aside their own uh, maybe freedoms in order to help the or the strong putting aside their whole freedoms. By doing all of that, what you're doing is that's a melody. That's a harmony. We're all with one voice glorifying God. This is, this is purposeful. When we do that, something happens in a way that the animals can't do and the galaxies can't do, we can do. So I think Paul would say this, river of life, cross the street, cross the aisle, go find somebody you don't know, and welcome them. Welcome them into your pew. Welcome them into your life group. Welcome them into your home. Welcome them into your, your life. And do it because you're doing it for the glory of God. Now, one final thing. In order to encourage us to cross these ethnic and racial lines, Paul is once again going to refer to Scripture. He always does that. We learned that last week, right? That when Paul says, this is what I want you to do, he goes back and says, this is what the Scripture says. This is what he's going to do. Let's read verses 8 and 9. Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will sing praises to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And you're thinking, what does he mean by that? Well, here's the first thing. He tells us Christ set the example by becoming a, a servant. In Philippians 2, uh, 5 to 11, Paul says this, Have this mind in yourself. All right? Paul says, This is the way Christ thought. Now, this is the way I want you to think. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or the thing to, that he had to hold on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Can you imagine God comes down and becomes a man? That's like one of us becoming a worm. And Paul says he did that. How much more can you put aside some of your little petty opinions to serve one another? That's all he's asking us to do. Christ did it. Now, now you did it. The second thing he did, it says this. Christ came and died crossing ethnic and racial lines to create a new man. Boy, I love this. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female nor slave nor free, uh, 
you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise. See, God didn't just, see, Jesus didn't just come, says, I want black people and white people to get along. Or I want uh, Pakistanis and Indians to get along. No, he said, I come to create a new man. That's, I, it's, not a, it's not about female or male. It's not about slave or free. It's not about black or white or Gentile or Jew. It's about Christian. I'm a Christian. One of the most, one of the most insidious things about what's going on right now in our culture is they're trying to get people to divide and identify based on their gender, based on their race, based on all these things. And Christianity says none of those things matter. What matter is I'm a Christian. So I ask you today, how do you identify? If somebody said, tell me about yourself. Am I a white man? Am I a black woman? Am I, am I a southerner? Am I, what, does any of that matter? No, the first thing out of your mouth should be, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. That's how I identify. All that other stuff is just temporary. That's just temporary. It's all going to fall off. This is what matters, who I am. We have to first and foremost see ourselves as a child of God. By the way, you can't fulfill your purpose in glorifying Him until you understand who you are. You better know your identity. Then you can move into where He wants you to go. The next thing he does, and I'm closing, Christ glorified the Father by showing his truthfulness. Verse 15, 8, For I tell you, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. Remember, God's glory is his whole character. It's his mercy, his forgiveness, his love. And part of that is his truthfulness and faithfulness. The fact that when he says something, he's going he's to keep his promise. So what he's saying here is Paul, uh, Jesus became a servant to show one aspect of his glory. And that was his truthfulness. That when he said he was going to do something... He followed through and he did it. So he's exhorting us to be like Christ. Jesus came to serve the Jews to glorify his truthfulness. He wants us to serve one another to, to, to glorify maybe that aspect of his character or maybe some other aspect of his character. Finally, Christ came and died so that we, we are, does everybody know we're all Gentiles? There might be a Jew here, or not, I'm not sure, but most of us are non-Jews, that's Gentiles. Christ came and died so that we might glorify God for his mercy. Verses 9 through 12. In order that the Gentiles, that's me and you, might glorify God for his mercy. And then he, here he goes. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. By the way, that's Psalm 18. Again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's Deuteronomy 32. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's Psalm 117. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Talking about Jesus, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. That is the word of God in the Old Testament, Isaiah. By the way, written some 500 or more years before Jesus ever came to this earth. Listen, the fact that you and I have received mercy is an incredible thing. But that is, that's not the end of salvation. That's not the ultimate purpose of salvation. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God died for you. Yes, he saved you. But the ultimate end of your salvation is to glorify God. Uh, I walk out of that tomb and the next thing for me is to start, let's get to work. And I'm talking about the tomb of my old life buried with Christ, raised to walk in a new life. I step out and it's like, okay, how do I glorify God in my marriage? How do I glorify God in my family? How do I glorify God in my church, in my school? I'm looking for opportunities. 
because that's what we are called to do. Finally, verse 13, and you'll see what I was talking about. Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's where they should have ended the chapter, right there. Because next week, Paul is ready to move on in verse 14 to another subject, and we'll pick that up next week. Let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, What an incredible word it is. And just as it was true for the early church, it is just as true today. And I pray as as a board member at River of Life, I pray for our body. I pray for our family. God, I pray that that we will reach across the aisles to people that aren't like us, that we'll get outside of our circles, not because because the, the, the preacher asks us to or not because the teacher exhorts us to. We'll do it because we want to fulfill your purpose for our life, which is to bring glory to you. God, there's some here that are scared to death to do that, and I pray right now that you give them boldness that you give them boldness. Maybe they've never stepped out of that aisle before and went and talked to somebody they didn't know. God, I pray that you give them holy boldness to walk in your word. And Father, I just believe if if you do this through us and we do this in obedience, that it'll change the life of this church. It'll change the life of this body. And people outside will see something that is so missing in the world. The world is getting darker and darker and darker. But that just means our light is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter if, if we'll just obey. God, give us the courage, Holy Spirit, to do that in Jesus' name.